0: Greetings everybody, this is a Travel Addict Podcast where you can hear candid stories and discussions about business and adventure travel from around the world. With activities such as trekking, diving, camping, driving, cruising and just plain chilling out somewhere, we talk about lots of experiences in places all over the world including the grand, the remote, the edgy, the risque and ones of questionable merit. Education, fulfillment and wonder enrich our lives. And of all the books in the world, the best stories are found between the pages of a passport. Stay tuned. Good morning, everybody. Malcolm Teasdale here, The Travel Addict. This morning, uh, we are connecting with a lady in the great city of Johannesburg in South Africa, which I believe is seven eight hours in front of me right now It doesn't matter good evening I should say Lois Wagner is online with us and she has a very interesting career uh, so to speak so we're going to find out more about her in just a second so good morning or good evening Lois are you there hi
1: welcome hi thanks very much for having me on your show
0: my pleasure. My pleasure. I'm trying to get used to the South African accent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know what it is, Lowry. people Sometimes people ask me, um, I, I speak with people from all walks of life, different countries. They ask me, for whatever reason, they said, Malcolm, well, how many languages do you speak? I say five. They, they say, really? I said, yeah, English, American, Canadian, Australian, and South African. <laughs> and there's a reason for that because it, it, it's a little bit different different dialects and stuff so there's, there's a method behind my madness anyway los thanks for being here today um you sent me a profile uh, which i've got on my screen now and i've got a list of questions i want to ask you because you've had an interesting life and you do coaching now for people coaching in a good way is to help people and correct me if i'm wrong in a minute Um, you help people sort of rectify uh, their life or get it back to normal operating procedure, so to speak. Now, I know about your YouTube channel, Walking Without Skin, more about that in a minute. But what I understand is that you help people to move from being a victim of sorts to getting their life together to be a survivor and thriving afterwards. Now, One thing I was going to ask you about this is what qualifies you to be a person that can do this? But I'm thinking it's based on personal experience. Is that true?
1: Definitely. I've lived a very hard life, a very interesting life, and I've got lessons. (laughs) And so I've been through it all. And so it's all based, my work is based on my personal experiences.
0: Okay. Now, if you are comfortable talking about that, because I'm looking at your profile here. You wrote this information down on your profile, and I know you had a business partner, and sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. Well, obviously, um, you had a a business going there with a a partner who, well, it didn't work out. Then you suggested you've been uh, abused either mentally or physically. If you feel comfortable talking about that, please do, because this is all part of what you do, and this is you've learned from... Uh, bad times in your past and come through this and you're trying to advise others because there's plenty of people around like that. So if you feel comfortable talking about it, just, just do it.
1: Yeah, sure. You know, basically I, I had a quite a dysfunctional childhood to start off with, um, which later on served me well because it gave me resilience. You know, when you face a lot of challenges, you build your resilience. So I had that resilience, uh, fortunately, because I would have been in my early 40s when I was in this partnership, uh, we, we had a digital printing business and uh, I was working alone late one night and I was brutally attacked and raped and left for dead. Yikes. So that was, that was the first thing. And I became an activist because I was so angry. You know, it happened way before the Me Too movement and the word rape was never discussed in polite circles. So... The fact that this happened to me was just too shocking for words. And so I wanted to change the world and I became an activist. And part of that was I didn't want to be in the workplace anymore. And my partner agreed to buy me out, which instead of buying me out, he betrayed me and he put the business into liquidation. And so on top of the... The, the rape, I lost everything and went deep into debt. So it was a double sort of <laughs> whammy. I was hit twice with two very negative experiences at the same time.
0: Yeah, that's brutal, isn't it? I mean, I've heard stories like, not, not exactly like yours, Lois, but where there's been business partnerships that have gone sour. I was in one myself. You know, it, not too bad to get out of, to be honest with you. It wasn't a very nice experience, but compared to what you went through, um, it's, it's really bad. You know, I'm surprised sometimes when, when people have an argument, like, why can't they just walk away gracefully, you know? But that doesn't happen a lot, does it? So based on what you've learned, you do, you coach people now because you've been through it yourself. And there's all kinds of things in life that can make people depressed, or down in the dumps, whatever you want to call it. So what you do now is sort of encourage them. Is that right, to sort of say, put it behind you, look forward, there's lots of beautiful things in the world to see and do?
1: Well, I've, based on all the research I've done and on my own experience, I've discovered there's a journey that you go on after you've experienced any kind of major adversity, it could be divorce, it could be your house burned down, it could be an accident. It doesn't matter what it is, losing a job. Um, You go through the same sort of uh, steps, if you like, Um, and it starts with you become a victim, and you're a victim. You're angry, you're full of hatred, you're depressed, you're sad, you... You, whatever those do, there's blame and guilt and all those negative emotions, and what happens is often people say, "I'll oh, get over it," you know, "move on," you know, "time will heal," and that is so wrong because if you don't deal with those emotions, it comes back to trigger you later. So it could be five years later, ten years later, yeah. something happens similar, or something happens to somebody else similar. Um, And you react, it comes back, and it brings back all those negative emotions and and feelings. And so it's very important that you deal with those emotions before you get over it (laughs) and actually work with those emotions. So that's the first step. Allow people to just accept what happened to them, accept those emotions, feel those emotions, and work with them before taking the next step.
0: Yeah, I agree. Now, did you, based on what's happened recently with the pandemic, 2020 was a real difficult year for many people. Me to a certain extent, because I'm used to getting on the road and traveling, but I had plans and they all got canceled. But dealing with people's emotions and their feelings during last year, well, the pandemic's still on, of course. Do you find yourself talking with people who are just so down in the dumps because of the pandemic over here in the United States, the suicide rate's gone up? Crime rates gone up, uh, depression rates gone up. Is that same thing in uh, South Africa as well?
1: Very much so. And worse is that the abuse has gone up. You know, the domestic violence has, right. has got really out of control. Wow. So, you know, people can't run away and escape the, the unpleasant situations. So it's really got very, very bad.
0: Wow. Wow. Well, it's, it's probably difficult to control as well, if it's gone up that much. And of course, believe it or not, this September, I had intentions of going to the country of Namibia, which was flying through Johannesburg to get there. And I know you had this variant of COVID down there. So it's sort of, uh, probably I shouldn't. So I'll just put that on hold for next year. More about that later on. But yeah, I can just imagine dealing with the emotions of people like that. So you've found yourself helping quite a bit, even recently, right? And just tell them to put the best foot forward and we'll get over this, right? Yeah.
1: No, don't get over it. Deal with it. <laughs> deal with it.
0: I like that attitude. Yeah, just deal with it. Get it done. And that's the only way to do it, isn't it? You just have to, because no one else is going to fix it. you just got to fix yourself, I think, more than anything. Like, we've all had bad moments in life, whether it's business, personal. You just have to figure it out yourself at the end of the day. so Well, you,
1: know, you don't have to figure it out on your own because, you know, it, it makes it so much more difficult, and it takes so much longer. If you've got somebody to support you through it, yeah. you can you can move through it a lot quicker and and get a much better, much more positive outcome.
0: Yeah, but you've got to be you've got to be in a position where you you have to listen to advice. You can't just ignore it. You have got to listen. And I think what, what's helped me is just keeping myself busy over the last twelve months. I think has has really helped doing something. And uh, so, well, we'll just look forward. I'm probably back on the road next month, but we'll just have to look forward. Hopefully things will get better. Uh, But as I mentioned, obviously you're in South Africa, and it's my intention to get back down your neck of the woods there. My father was stationed in, uh, during World War II, both my parents were World War II vets, but my father was stationed in Rhodesia for a couple of years there. And I've still got great pictures of him uh, from that area. He caught malaria while he was there, by the way. But it was uh, extraordinary. So, uh, yeah, it's on my to-do list. And I'm going to ask some questions um, in a minute about places you've been to. I wouldn't mind going to, but they're not exactly on the top of my list. And probably when I mention them, you're going to, you know, many people will realize that. So anyway, what you do, Lois, today is uh, very commendable, helping people when they're down in the dumps and all that stuff. It's uh, it's excellent. You said you started traveling when you were about 54 years old, right?
1: That's right. I moved. I left South Africa and I moved to the Middle East and I was based in Oman, And uh, the Middle East is the middle of the world. So the opportunity to travel. i had done a little bit of traveling before. i had gone to one or two places in Europe and Britain um, and a couple of Southern African places prior to that. But it was more circumstantial than planned travel. Whereas when I got to the Middle East, it was definitely planned travel.
0: What year were you in the Middle East? I went.
1: I went there in two thousand and eight.
0: Two thousand and eight. Got it. Okay. So that explains then, with the exception of Haiti and Cuba, uh, you were like likes of Pakistan, Iraq, Iran, Lebanon were quite accessible from where you were. I suppose. I'm trying to think, the state of Iraq and Iran at that time in two thousand and eight. Did you enjoy it? Uh,
1: I can't tell you. Iran. Is in terms of people, they are the friendliest people in the world. <laughs> uh, I, I can't tell you how wonderful the people of Iran are. Their country and their government is up to, but the people are marvelous. Um, I've never, I've never been so welcomed anywhere in my life. It was just amazing.
0: That's that's fantastic because it's nice to speak to you and hear that because. There's so many people who read uh, newspapers, which can be biased, of course, and news channels, which also can be biased, and it paints a very bad picture of some countries in the world, and Iran may be one of them. But I found that in many places around the world that you would not expect that. So you enjoyed it. in you are saying Tehran, by the way, or did you go elsewhere? Uh,
1: I, I only went to the south. I didn't get up to the north. So I was in Shiraz and yeah? the southern part. So my, my intention was to go to the north next time, but circumstances forced me back to South Africa. So... Another day, another
0: dream. Now, of course, you went to Iraq. Funny thing is, I met a British couple on a, a cruise ship, I'd say, a couple of years ago. We got talking about stuff, because obviously, I'm, I'm from England originally, but live in the US now. Then we got talking, as Brits do, about stuff in the world. And they were stationed in Iraq for a number of years during the time of Saddam Hussein. And they said, yeah, he was a tough guy, a bit of a nutcase, but he kept control. He kept, basically kept control and because he knew that uh, there's you know, um, bad guys out there that, that could come in the country, but he kept control. So when the war happened and he got ousted by um, the American and the British government, it was looked on as being, well, that seems a bit dubious, and they said yeah, they should have left well alone. And that was their opinion. As British couples, they were, the country was a lot better off before that happened. Whether it's true or not, that's just their opinion, but they lived there. Interesting. How do you feel about Rack? I don't know how long you spent there.
1: Well, I went on with a group of. of um, it was a tour, oh. uh, but with a group of friends mostly, um, and it was it was fabulous. <laughs> you know, the country is recovering um so there's a lot of poverty and and what have you but and the people aren't as friendly as iran in fact they're not terribly friendly yeah um, but it it was oh it was good you know the the people the, the hospitality was was solid and uh, the transport was good and the tour guide we had was excellent so no i think it worked it worked very well what happened was after the tour was over I didn't want to leave. <laughs> so um, I, the tour guide offered for me to go home with him. He lived uh, much further uh, north, south, can't remember now, much further south. <laughs> um, and so I went with him and I spent another week um, in another part of the country just with him and his family. And uh, it was marvelous. It was I, I I just thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the experience. Um the the my host was fantastic. His family were terribly open and welcoming. Yeah. As I said, you walk the streets; you have to you have to cover all the time, so you you don't really interact <laughs> with yeah. the, with the general people. But at one point, I was the only Westerner. You know, especially when I went down with the tour guard, there were no tourists, nobody at all. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, that
0: was a little uh, sore so thumb sticking out. <laughs> <laughs> Stuck out like a sore thumb. Yeah, well, I can imagine that. Uh, but to a lesser extent, you went to Pakistan, and I believe I spoke to someone, they were living in Pakistan with their family, took the family over there, including kids, and just stayed in the country Pakistan for about a year, which... Uh, to me, was a, sort of a brave thing to do. But again, I don't know enough about Pakistan to make a, an honest opinion about it. If I went to Pakistan, I'd probably go and watch a cricket game or, you know, I'd, I'd eat their food for sure. And uh, But how did you get on there? Would you find it all right, safe? Uh,
1: also, it was absolutely fun. You saw a lot of armed guards walking around everywhere, they were so friendly. They would pose for a photograph with me. There was one occasion I was sitting on a on a street cafe and they told me to move inside because they said it was too dangerous for me to sit outside. Yeah. So um, they're very protective, very concerned, very protective. But the funniest thing about Pakistan, again, I never saw any Westerners while I was there. And they kept shouting, America, go home. <laughs> and I would say, I'm, so- I'm South African. And they would say, oh, Hansi Kranier. Hansi Kranier was a cricketer. Um, and so the minute they knew I was South African, they they accepted me with open arms. They love South Africa. They love cricket. They couldn't speak English, but they knew Hansi Kranier's name. <laughs> and so I was welcome. But uh, when they thought I was American, that didn't want to know me. <laughs>
0: You didn't meet Imran Khan, did you? Uh, <laughs> okay, I just, I just wanted that. Yeah. So I will remember that because I got, I've got American and a British passport. So if I ever get to Pakistan, I'll use my British passport, not my American well, one. Yeah. Well, I'll
1: just say to anybody, wear, wear a South African T-shirt or something South African because they love the South Africans.
0: Okay, well, excellent. All right. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, see, the Caribbean is close to me. I live in Destin, Florida. A lot of time, I I, I do the uh, speaking engagements on cruise ships, enrichment talks, and I've got a gig up in uh, July. It actually leaves out of St. Martin. It goes around the Caribbean islands. But you've been to two islands in the Caribbean I have not been to, and one I really want to go to, the other maybe not. Cuba is very difficult as an American to get to Cuba, or has been historically, and my cousin in England, her and her husband went to Cuba. They had a fantastic time and I'd love to go there because it seems to have just a lot of character. Did you enjoy it there?
1: Okay, I don't think there's any place I've not enjoyed. You know, I go, I go and I travel with the attitude of just immersing myself in the culture and experiencing the people. So, you know, I enjoy every exposure. So... I love the people. They 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 just are. There's no pretense. There's no there's no they they let it all hang out, you know. They just they they're not trying to pretend and dressing up and trying to be something they're not. Um and they're very enterprising, very creative. Uh, you know, the fact that they've they've were sanctioned and they couldn't get so much from America, they learned to do things for themselves. They learned to repair their cars and they learned to fix and make and do things. Very well-educated people. Oh, yeah. Um, And uh, it was just a fabulous, friendly, um, uh, so much culture, so much to experience and see. It was just fabulous. That was a tour. I don't often go on tours. I think I've only been on four or five tours in my life, and that one I went on a tour because it was called a dance and music tour, and I thought those are things that I wouldn't do on my own.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. And so I joined this this tour, which was there were, I think there were eight of us on on the tour, and we just had a blast for eight days, and then I stayed on uh, for another week after that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wonderful. Yeah, I'd uh, certainly love to be able to go down there. In fact, my um my family doctor is from Cuba. Wonderful man. We have lots of faith in him for just being our doctor. We have one thing in common, that's scuba diving. So he's an avid scuba diver and there's some good diving around uh, Cuba. So that's one of the places I've actually uh, loved to go to. But I think what you've said a lot about is when you go to these countries where most people wouldn't want to go, you mix with the people right? And that's what it's all about. You learn a bit about the culture, you mix with the locals, and that's the biggest fun. It's not about the place. It could be about a place in general. If you're, going to, if you're going to Zambia or Zimbabwe, yeah, you've got see the Victoria Falls, but you, know, you go to a place to mix with the culture and learn about it. And I've been to some obscure places in the world, and it's just nice to see how the people live there from day to day. It's pretty educational for me, and that's part of the enjoyment. I think, you know, I think uh, people should take that into consideration a bit more, mixed with the locals. It's okay. I live on a beach here. I go, I can go to, down the beach anytime I want here. But some of these uh, places you've been to, and uh, maybe I've been to uh, something special. You know, you've got it's it's out there. You know, what? But it's like you
1: know, in both, both Iran and Cuba, I did homestay. So, you know, you actually stay in people's houses and they don't, it's not like an Airbnb, you know, it's not, you literally move into their spare bedroom yeah. and you live, you know, and you eat, with, you eat with them at their kitchen table. So, and that's the way I like to do it. And on occasion, especially when I've been on some of the tours, mm. you do stay in hotels, but I prefer not to stay in a hotel. I prefer to get down and dirty with the locals.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good idea uh, as well. You could learn learn a lot more. And, of course, you went to Lebanon as well. And uh, before I I retired early because I I sold my technology company, but we had probably three or four people from Lebanon working for us. They were very friendly people, just great to get along with, and very conscientious workers, very productive as well. And they were just a delight to have as part of our, our company's team there. And of course, Lebanon's had a you know a dubious past. But you know, I'd, I'd always wanted to go to um, that area. Uh, but again, it's uh, who knows? I mean, uh, maybe one day. Uh, I wouldn't say it's number one on my list. But in the past, I would would have liked to go there. But it's just been too much through too much trouble and strife. Did you? Where did you go when you went to Lebanon?
1: Well, first of all, I won a prize. That's how I got there in the first place. Oh. I won a prize and stayed on a wine farm, which was oh. it was fabulous. Um, but then, uh, again, I went with a friend, and then when my friend left, I stayed and I just hired a car, and I just drove around the country. I had three accidents.
0: <laughs> well, I, you felt safe doing it, right?
1: Yes, I, I usually just hire a car when I travel. I just go. I don't. I, I'm, I'm. I'm high risk. I don't plan my trips. I get to the airport. I hire a car. I grab a GPS or a map, um, and I go. <laughs> so no, when,
0: I not. The, when I was in
1: the <laughs> of Georgia, when I was in the Republic of Georgia, I couldn't get the GPS to speak English. It kept speaking Russian to me. <laughs> just sure, yeah, get I
0: it <laughs> there's an element of safety in that. I have had taxis in the countries of Colombia, Myanmar, and Philippines, and India as well. And my philosophy is never trust a taxi driver in some countries, right? In a way, it would be safer to rent a car than maybe hire a taxi because there's all that danger of kidnapping. There was around at the time kidnapping. Uh, was sort of a thing back a few years ago, especially in, like, Colombia, And, uh, yeah, I felt like I was being kidnapped a couple of times in a taxi ride from the airport to my hotel. Um, so I had this paranoia. But there again, they're just places you would not want to rent a car and drive around. Now, Delhi, India is one of them. You would never want to rent a car there. No, it would be the last place. <laughs> now, don't tell me you <laughs> have <laughs> been to India rented a car there, Lewis, for God's sake, no.
1: It's only because
0: the driving is so bad. <laughs> oh, it's not completely chaotic. Well, Kathmandu is worse, but it's just completely chaotic. Oh, dear, <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, I know they're going through a hard time right now, but uh, hopefully they'll recover from it. Uh, because the, the neck of the woods you're is in South Africa, I do have a couple of uh, good friends who I met during my working days who live in South Africa. Uh, I think one's in Durban now and the other's uh, actually in Johannesburg, but a friend of mine who lives in the uh, States, lives on the West Coast, spent many years in Cape Town. And I have a Facebook friend who somehow is distance-related to me with the name Teasdale. My great-great-great-grandfather came to South Africa way back when and created a family there. So there's a, some Teasdales down in South Africa somewhere. I haven't understood it yet. It's one of those things I'll do later on in, in life. But South Africa is great, actually. I enjoyed my time there, albeit brief. I was fortunate to be able to go to Livingston, Zambia, and walk across the bridge to Zimbabwe and saw the fantastic Victoria Force. I was going to ask you about, um, because it's close, fairly close by, geographically speaking, Namibia. Have you ever been to Namibia?
1: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> now, all right, tell me about this. Now, my aim was to go to Windhoek, the cabin, just stay there for a couple of days, then drive, down into the Namibian desert. Have you ever done that? Okay. Yes. What's it like?
1: Beautiful. It is beautiful. But you know, I love the desert. Um, and living in the Middle East, I was living in a desert, um, and they—they've each got their own specific beauty. There's—there's there's something magnificent about a desert. So it's—it's yeah. it's lovely. And there's ghost towns, you know, towns where the desert has just taken over and. It's beautiful. So it's a photographer's dream. It's it's
0: beautiful. Well, it's all oldest desert as well. have got the highest sand dune there, so I want to climb that. Yeah, I still want to go there. And I thought, well, while, while I'm down that neck of the woods, I can probably drop in at uh, maybe Gaborone, Botswana, or where I was supposed to go a couple of years ago. But I, I delayed my visit there, and then the scuba diving deteriorates was Zanzibar, the island of Zanzibar. Oh, yes.
1: Have you been there? Yes.
0: Is that as beautiful as it, they say?
1: I never dived. I, I, I'm, I'm an ex-diver. I never dived there, but yeah, the is lovely.
0: So on my to-do list, one of the things was I, I was planning a route down there, and I'm stopping to Kigali and Rwanda on the way, and I thought about going on a, a sightseeing excursion to you know, hang out with gorillas. But the thing is, there's always stuff you want to do, right? And there is for you as well, because you started traveling more at a later age, And there's lots more stuff you want to do. Where would you go next?
1: Well, it's quite strange. The very first place I want to go to is Lesotho, which is this tiny little country in the middle of South Africa. (laughs) And I can't believe that I've never been there. I mean, it's about about a four-hour drive from from here, and I've never been there.
0: Isn't that funny, right? You've you've been all around. You've been in the Middle East. You've been to <laughs> Cuba, uh, but it's it's. You know what? Well, I got a story to tell about that because I lived in the centre of England, Coventry. I never either went to Ireland or I never went to Scotland, but since I moved to America, I've been back and gone to Scotland. But it's just there. It's on my doorstep, but I never went there growing up for whatever reason. It's probably one of these things. Well, I just go there sometimes. It's there when I need it, type of thing. But that. Probably now. Now's the time. Okay.
1: Well, that, that that is the problem, I think, because you think, oh, you know, I'd rather go to the more difficult or places, and you know, the easy places we can do later. Because my biggest regret that I have with my travel was when I first got to the Middle East. Um, I wanted to go to Yemen and to a little island called Socotra Island. Socotra okay. Island is closer to Oman than it is to Yemen but it belongs to Yemen. And what makes Socotra so special is it's got these trees, they're called dragon trees, and they, they, they're nowhere else in the world and they look like prehistoric monsters. And I just have this fascination and I want to go there. So I did all my inquiries, but I thought, it's so close. I'll do it later. It's yeah, so close. I'll do it later. <laughs> and then of, course, then, of course, the war broke out. And, and then you just couldn't go. I tried twice to go after the ward broken out and I just couldn't get there. So that's probably my biggest travel regret. It's still number one on my...
0: I'm off to uh, Raja Ampat in Indonesia. It's, a, it's a, one of the world-renowned diving sites, uh, but it's a long way out there. It's difficult to get to. So I got an email from Singapore. They've just canceled one of the legs of my flight for whatever reason. I, I've got to give them a call after, after we've finished the yeah, other, what's going on. But anyway, yeah, you're going to make the most of it. You ease back into things. And, um, you know, travel is important to you. It's important to me. I'm just doing it uh, while we can. Now, why don't you tell us a bit about your website, which is, wait a minute, I'm going to bring it up here. Uh, walking without skin. Now, it's a bit of a strange name to someone, walking without skin. Explain that. What's that really mean?
1: Well, it's, it's, it's my, it started off being my book. Um, I wrote a book, which is a journal of my healing journey. So it's a story of my rape and how I recovered. So the walking without skin, it's about vulnerability and being exposed. You know, your skin is what protects you and (laughs) keeps you secure and safe. So by walking without skin, it's being exposed to the world, basically. So that's where the name came from, walking without skin. And that's the name of my Facebook page and my web page. So it's just become my second name.
0: Walkingwithoutskin.com is your website. They can read more about uh, that and it's... um... Obviously, the title from fear to forgiveness to freedom—all good. People could gain a lot from uh, reading that. Now, you have a YouTube uh, channel, don't you? I do. Tell us about that.
1: Well, it's—it's uh, really—it's a whole bunch of things, but it's also about healing and overcoming. So, it started when I first got back to South Africa about two two years ago. It's when I really started it. And I wanted to run a summit on rape and healing from rape. So I created the YouTube channel there. I created it under my coaching name, Lois Wagner Coaching. Um, but I'm wanting to change everything to walking without skin now. So it's got a lot of uh, uh, um, interviews on healing and how to recover from trauma. It's got thriving tips and now it's got my latest, in, my latest project, which is called Brave. And I, I, I said, "Why am I helping people recover from sexual abuse? We shouldn't have sexual abuse." <laughs> so my latest project is to start working to eradicate sexual abuse. Yeah. So I've created this acronym, Brave. Um, and it's to teach people to be nice human beings <laughs> to be brave yeah. to, to have boundaries and respect and and not to harm other people so i've started a, a, a whole bunch of interviews on how to be brave
0: exactly and based on your travels your travels i i think has probably helped us we learn about how many other people live and it doesn't matter where you go on the planet it could be a an obscure mountain village in the, Himalaya somewhere and you meet with the locals and they have a community there. The kids dress up in school uniform every morning and people are genuinely happy. That's the life they want to leave. And they're not really interested in all the troubles we have back back in our neck of the woods. They're pretty happy away from it all where they live. I even uh, spent a day with a nomadic family in the Mongolian wilderness one time. And I, asked, I, I couldn't help but ask them this question. And it was a mother, father, and their their son, and the cattle. And they live in the middle of nowhere in a tent, a yurt. It's not like a a, a cheapo tent. It's a, it's a good quality tent, by the way, whatever that actually means. But I said I said to the head of the household, I said, "Why don't you guys just move into Ulaanbaatar, which is?" Um, a modern city and has all the features you want, he even got an Irish pub there, by the way. So, why don't you move back into the city rather than live in the wilderness? And he said, Not a chance in hell, because that's where they were happy. That's where his family lived all these years. And he is, well, it's traditional and he felt comfortable out there with his family. So, absolutely. I'm, and that's not the first time I've heard that. People live in the mountains, away from the big cities. They love it. They love that way of life, and nothing's going to change them. So it gave me a new respect about, you know, people living in places like this. They're happy, and that's all we want to be is happy in our life, I think, more than anything, happy and contented.
1: Even in Oman, you've got the nomads. You know, they live in the desert in the in the winter, and in the summer it's just too hot, so they come into the city for the summer. Yeah, But in winter they're back into the desert again.
0: <laughs> there's something about it. Okay, there's critters out there, of course, but that that's all that's all right. Yeah, I've got critters in my backyard here. You know, I live in Florida, so we have the, uh, the odd coyote and the odd snake, and uh are sort of residents here, sort of. Yeah, Sid the snake crawls around outside of our house looking for rats and mice, but that's all right. You know, it is what it is. But anyway, lois if people want to reach you, they get you on your website and uh whatever. So obviously, when 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 this goes live people can find out more about you and uh look at your book and uh, you do speaking assignments as well right so uh you do uh, yes. public speaking i've
1: got a t- i've
0: got a TED talk <laughs> ted talks how did you, uh, yeah before before we go let me how did you get into ted talks did you just i've never even looked at it you just get on like and applied. i've
1: been applying for years i finally got in
0: <laughs> what's it take you just have to do you have to set an application in or do you have to just create the talk, post it, and if I like it? Is there a, is there a method behind this? Um, no,
1: you see, they have what the TEDx talks are community-driven, so you've got to find your local community TED organiser and approach them. But they usually have a theme, and then, you know, your story's got to fit in with their theme. So it just takes a lot of digging de- around, a lot of searching. You can apply for a TED Talk, which is a bigger platform, um, and but that's very difficult to get a TED Talk.
0: Okay. I've, I've never really looked at it. Someone mentioned it once. but Anyway, well, great work, uh, Lois. work you do today is good helping other people. Travel safely, and, um, you know, I wish you all the best. Anything else you, you want to add to what we've talked about today?
1: Not what we've talked about. What I like to always end off all my talks uh, is with my little saying, and that is, "Fly free."
0: Fly free. <laughs> okay, I'll mention that when I call Singapore Airlines up today. <laughs> fly Free. <laughs> See what they say.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That kind of stuff. If you know,
0: ask me about that. So. <laughs> well fantastic all right lois yeah keep in touch and uh you know once this gets edited it'll probably be in june sometime but i'll, I'll be in touch with you let you know and uh it was good talking to you
1: and if you ever back this way call me up
0: all right take care lois see ya
1: okay, bye, bye.
0: Many thanks for joining me today. This is Malcolm Teasdale signing off. Before I do, please check out my website, MalcolmJTeasdale.com, for more information about my travels around the world. Okay, folks, talk to you later. Bye for now. Stay safe.